0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Forest Spirituality with me Julie Brett. In this episode I've got a chat uh, with me and Paul Corcoran, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, He's from Ireland and we met because we both did an episode of Tea with Druid for the OBOD page on Facebook. So that was really fun and and the things that we talked about um, ended up being a, a conversation starter for us to just have a chat. And really this is... Like, the first time that we have had a chat, we had had a couple of messenger chats um, beforehand, and so we we kind of mention those every now and then. but, But this is just us being druids, different parts of the world, and talking about the issues of our day. We get into all kinds of different things and have a really long, rambly chat. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. So... How are you doing? Yep. <laughs> I really enjoyed your talk.
1: Thanks. It was. Um, I'm quite self-critical, not in the sense of like beating myself up, but I immediately kind of go, "Okay, how would I do that differently next
0: time?"
1: Yeah. Oh so yeah, I've got me too. a long too. list of how I would do that differently.
0: Yeah, but it for was a, sure. It's a, a
1: really curious experience looking at a screen and it's only yourself looking back.
0: Yeah, I know. And you can just see like the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> imagining how many people it is and
1: you can't comment on them because it detracts from the flow and it's such a short space of time
0: yeah totally yeah it's hard to keep all of like the things that you want to say in your mind as well as um yeah paying attention to what's going on and just getting over yourself like you know just like (laughs) the getting over
1: yourself is the biggest part yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so how, how did you get into druidry
1: hmm it's been a while i'm trying to remember back this was the first inclination was towards becoming more interested in paganism in general and that was when i was about 14 15 i remember i went to the library in the local town where i'm from and i had to get permission from my dad to sign out books from kid books that were outside the kids section because i was under 16 and there were several books on magic and paganism. Now, there were books now that I wouldn't actually rate anymore. Yeah, right. They were—they're they're not things that I'm, I'm particularly interested in. They were very much into nineteen like, fifties traditional British witchcraft, that sort of thing. Yeah, like Gardner and. Um, um, yeah, and the well, other ones—the names I don't even remember. Like, but the—but but from that, I became interested in in other books in that sphere. And the one that mm-hmm. really grabbed me was a book by vivian crowley called uh, the phoenix from the flame oh, and it I've was the rise of modern paganism it was a book that came out in the mid i'm going to say mid-90s i'm not 100 percent but at the back of it there was a link to the obod website and details on the course yeah
0: right.
1: so i had that in my mind for a couple of years and then when i was about 21 i signed up for the bardic grade
0: so in the 90s so you were like early on no, then No
1: that would have been two yeah, two thousand. Yeah, yeah. two thousand.
0: Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah, still pretty yeah, so, early on though. I suppose they, they didn't they didn't get to Australia I don't think until the mid nineties. People weren't weren't doing it here before that. So yeah, sort of you you were still fairly early on, I suppose then.
1: Yeah, yeah. and for me it was very much a personal practice and a way of organizing the universe in my head
2: Hmm.
1: rather than i've never considered it a religion or my religion i've considered it religiosity but i yeah i don't like the the narrowness of notion of this is my religion and this is not i much prefer to identify as human
0: yeah (laughs) or alive yeah. yeah i mean I, I find it works sort of like a framework for understanding other religions as well, though, for me, mm. like because there's this focus on ancestors. Like, I don't find that, like, uh, I find that I can still look at my the ancestors of li- all sorts of lineages and truths of different kinds, and, you know, I, so I can look at lots of different spiritual paths and still see those as ancestors. So, I, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I find it; it's not conflicting to other traditions and paths. Like they can all mm-hmm. be part of it as well. But yeah, um, but I, I think, I know we. I think in our conversation, you know, coming up to this, we touched on the idea of religion as well. Mm. Was that was that what, were we, what you wanted to say something about that? And I thought, oh, that's a juicy question. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about that.
1: What was it? Where it was, uh, well, but uh, I suppose what came to mind immediately was there was a couple of years ago I was living in Belfast, and I hadn't been to mass for a long time and I decided I was as I was so interested in going to all these other spiritual practices and traditions I'd, I'd gone to several other different faith practices and I hadn't been to a Roman Catholic service as an adult voluntarily for quite a while and so I went to mass as a druid just to experience what it was like just to be able to not have any sense of the church having any authority over me but going very much in my own authority and experiencing it and taking what I wanted not taking but experiencing it in the moment mm. and those parts of it I loved and those parts going oh yeah that's I I remember this part and I remember this is what doesn't resonate with me but these parts are beautiful yeah and it, for it to be okay to have parts that were unattractive and parts that were attractive mm.
0: so do you think that Getting to that that idea of religion, there I suppose. Like, what were you what were you saying before when we when we just brought that up just now? Like, um, like that.
1: About.
0: Druidry was appealing to you initially, I think, because you you it wasn't dogmatic, I suppose, or it wasn't you know religious yeah. in that sense. But yeah, so is that what you're talking about? And going back to that, you were comparing the two, I suppose. Is that what you mean?
1: Um... Partly, I suppose my relationship. Well, I'll address the first part of that first. I suppose one of the things I love about Druidry is is the lack of dogma, and there's no list of uh, prescribed beliefs that it. Like, there's nothing that I could say that my understanding of the world will change in this so drastically that I no longer identify with Druidry because it doesn't resonate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there isn't. Oh, I don't believe that anymore. there if I'm not a Druid.
0: Yeah, there's so much room to move. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's that that freedom is is what I love and and, and deeply love about Druidry and this particular tradition mm. and I suppose what I meant about my relationship with the Roman Catholic Church is because I grew up in that tradition it took a long time for me to be to separate myself from it to be able to be comfortably with it again because yeah. for so long it would have been an authority especially for my ancestors like the a priest or a bishop really couldn't be questioned and for me to come to a place in myself where I can feel comfortable enough in my own authority to be in the presence of that and not feel threatened by it. Yeah. Especially coming from, like, like as a gay person as well, in relationship to an organization that doesn't treat people like me well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, in contrast to Druidry, there's definitely, you know whether you're sort of doing it the way they wanted you to or not. I suppose that's like yep. the essence of a dogmatic tradition, I suppose, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, hard rules, hard sort of you're either in the group or not sort of feelings where I don't think that Druidry really is like that. I feel like Druids often are going around going, oh, yeah, you're a Druid and you're a Druid and just because, you know, there's, there's enough crossover with some yeah. people that it makes them part of the, the group because it is quite as flexible as that that you can have individual individualistic beliefs and still sort of be part of the family.
1: I think. Mm. And at the same time, there are still plenty of people out there who will tell you that you're doing Druidry wrong.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: <clears throat> and no matter what tradition you come from, there's always going to be someone who is looking for a dogmatism in it. And you get that a lot within people's attitude towards Irish paganism or... Irish spirituality as well. Like you know, this is this is the correct way, and this is not the correct way. This is.
0: Yeah right. Do you do you want to tell me about that experience a bit? Because that's like I'm I'm always really interested to hear about sort of um, the ways that druidry um, is experienced in different parts of the world.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, I suppose, because when it comes to Irish history, there is. We have a lot of written information from like the 7th, 8th century onwards and there's a huge wealth in that, uh, but there's also a a tendency towards treating that as some sort of golden age when everything was better than it is now. And I'm not comfortable with that. I'm still fascinated by that and fascinated by the, the being able to remember all of our past and finding the, the parts that we don't know things about and 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 digging our, our roots deeper into our own heritage which I think is crucially important to be able to be aware of that but it's what I'm uncomfortable with sometimes is where we have a tendency towards but you know what I'm saying about making this the the, the bigger and better than it naturally was you know my ancestors kept slaves that's that was part of our, our heritage as well and i i like to think of my own personal history and my culture's history in a broader sense so i think we were having this conversation on messenger where i was saying about how there's a tendency to talk about our pagan ancestors and to then disregard everything that came afterwards and so well, you know my ancestors for the last 1,500 years have identified very strongly as Christian, hmm. and I'm not going to say they were wrong.
0: Yeah, well, they were, that was just part of the story. Obviously, it yeah. resonated with them for some reason, I suppose. Yeah. I
1: yeah. suppose <laughs> um, I'm also not very deity-oriented in my own personal practice. I I like the inspiration and I love the beauty of the stories, but I. Don't find personal value in in looking for gods and saying, "Well, that's a god, that's a god, that's not a god. What's a god?" Yeah. I'm I'm more interested in ecology and geology than divinity.
0: Yeah, um, I was, was going to say something. Where, where, so where, where do we go just now? We've been like. Sorry, my my ability to keep up with the conversation, sharks. We keep going like so many interesting places. I'm we need, like, ah, oh, there's them. too many points I want to say. <laughs> 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 so, so first off, um, yes, this idea of like the authenticity or the 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 sense that something can be created, um, you know, today that can be of value. Hmm. Um, yeah, like this idea that golden ageism is really interesting. That yeah, something in the past had to be. Um, more right like for us in Australia that's really uh an interesting topic because you know we're having to change things and make things new here all the time to make it you know there's there's not there's certainly a minority that that sticks to doing things in the northern hemisphere way of of things um whereas most people here seem to be working with native trees and animals and the directions and the seasons and things like that so we're quite comfortable with the idea of doing new things um but yeah every now and then we do get that that sense of somebody saying no no no, it has to be you know northern hemisphere style because of the ancestral connections or um or because of the tradition and things like that and I don't know, for me, that really jars because it should be, to me, it's about a nature-based path and, and <clears> we should be connecting with nature that's right here with us, not like pining for a different kind of nature or a different part of the world. Um, so, you know, and similarly, like, to a different time, um, you know, to to pine after, like, a different kind of sacred landscape or a sacred community or, you know, way of life seems crazy like um i was talking to sandra who's created a a set of oracle cards recently and she was talking about how um creating these cards on a computer aided design was really like part of druidry for her because to her druids were all about like the the height of technology and science Mm. and they you know the the scientists of their era so the you know like being in close connection with high technology was was druidic to her so you know, there's, there's sort of different ways that you
1: can look at it. I think it's fascinating. There is. I think we, we hinted on that in one of our conversations on Messenger last week, and I was having a think about this, and there's a tendency towards, I suppose it's because where our our modern heritage has come from, but the antiquarianism of like the 18th century and that sort of antiquarian sense of looking for the past and looking for bits and pieces, but also being kind of... Wonderfully eccentric antiquarian. It's an. You, you know, mean, that, that, you, that. Sorry, do that you mean searching that, for, that
0: Druids are eccentric antiquarians? Is that what you're saying?
1: I'm saying that our modern Druid heritage ancestors were eccentric antiquarians.
0: Ah, yes, yes, of yeah. course, like Yolonganag like and our, Garnogan, people like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And, the, and this, the, the, that's a wonderfully creative thing, and it, it, it's also quite wild in some sense, and trying to you know, uncover parts of, of history in, in the landscape and being fascinated with, with the landscape and seeing things around there. And, and that antiquarianism is wonderful to have in ourselves. But I think we also have to watch that we don't become anti-academic at the same time, because that antiquarian movement also just made up lots of stuff.
0: Yeah. I've been looking a lot recently at uh, Robert Graves and um, what he wrote about the Owen. And um, realizing how that's really shaped our understanding of of even the idea of trees having archetypal energies, I think, comes from him. And, mm-hmm. you know, you see all these books over and over again. And often at the beginning they say, well, we don't know a whole lot about the OM and they were boundary markers and it was an alphabet. But here's all these tree meanings. And, yeah. you know, and like we know that they like trees were sacred. We know that natural philosophy was important to the to the druids. We know that you know in in um like the brown laws and things they've got like different rules for cutting down certain trees so trees were definitely sacred but this idea of of the Oum relating to a specific set of trees and it's and he was drawing from sources from like Greek and Hindu and nordic and it's wild, like like he he like as far as academia goes today, he didn't really know what he was talking about at all. But, but it's, but at the same time, it's become such a massive part of the modern practice. <laughs> so <laughs> you're kind of like, what do we do with this? What do we do
1: with? Yeah, that? It's, So. I know from my from myself, like I I, I I'm big into trees, and it's kind of oxymoronic word, but trees and druids. but the. <laughs> the i'm not big into om as a divinatory practice personally i find it a bit clunky um and i personally the only divinity one i would tool i would use would be tarot but that's because it's it's i love the structure of it and i love the how many layers it can be used in the art and the creativity and so on but at, and so then when it comes to trees like i've i've studied and learned the bits and pieces i i need to do a lot of revision to remember all the different um, meanings and how to write in om but at the same time, I don't consider it essential, and I'm very much aware that all of our modern meanings are very modern. Like so, some of the, some of the things, like the the way we can have associations with birch and so on, that those are very true, but the structure of it and the way it's been, what well, this means this and this means that, I would much. I'd be much more comfortable with somebody saying, "There's a, actually, there is a birch tree looking outside the window I'm looking at now. So that particular birch tree, and it's the way that it it lives and moves and breathes, and my relationship with that tree and what it signifies in the time of year and what sort of climate we're living in. Like That sort of relationship I'm much more comfortable with. I think that's what I meant about dogmatism as well. There's a tendency in all humans, I think, to try and find certainty and to have certain rules and meanings. And if we say, well, you know, this is what the OM means, it's wonderful to approach it and say, well, here's actually a vast resource that opens doors for me. And if we can look at it that way and say, well, here's a starting point and here's a story and here's Robert Graves and people like that who put it together in this very modern format as a tool for us to be able to access it and to see the beauty in it. Because without his work, we probably wouldn't be talking about trees in the same way. And people like yourself wouldn't be looking for Australian equivalents and and building our own personal relationships with those things. I think it's perfectly fine as long as we acknowledge that it's a very modern piece of inspiration and it's a doorway.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. That's that's what we were talking about before, like this authenticity or this this sense that things don't have to be... Mm -hmm really, really old. Like, they, they can be new. Um, like, they don't have to be from the past to be useful. Like, we can have new ideas. Um, I think it's, like, I wonder if he might have been influenced as well by Jungian philosophy, like mm. the idea of archetypes, um, I mean, which was probably around the same time um, or just before. And, you know, that that is a part of spirituality That's that's so... Prevalent, um, I think, these days, like the idea that there can be an archetype of something, of a tree or a a feeling or even a deity or a season or a Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things that that's sort of permeated so much of what we do. I mean, even things like the the OBOD courses, so you know, quite a psychological journey, I think. You know, it's but those are all new things, like they didn't exist in the past. You can't look at the psychology practices of the Celts it just wasn't there so yeah there's some certain things that are just new and and wonderful
1: so yeah have you read Isaac Bonowitz's book on ritual
0: no I haven't I haven't read anything by Isaac Bonowitz before
1: I think that's the only one of his books that I've read all of it but I thoroughly enjoyed it and this mostly because of his humor but there's parts in it when we're talking about authenticity and 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 heritage in a sense of things being old. There's a part where he talks about no matter what ceremony you've written, even if it is one that you wrote just now for a season you've just invented, at some point in the ceremony you have to say our ancestors have done this forever because part of our human brain needs to hear that (laughs) to be able to slip into a ritual state of mind. So even if you just say, going to, as our ancestors have done, we're honouring this particular time of the year, th- th- something like that, then it, it allows you to slip into the sense of the ancestral and the depth of our being in the world.
0: I think you can definitely say that our ancestors have been cr- making stuff up yep. <laughs> forever, as our ancestors have always made stuff up. <laughs>
1: yeah. and so, responding yeah. to the world around them. And that's a conversation I was having with... Yeah, um, for sure. Some people about a ceremony recently, and they were talking about their love of nature. And I was saying, for me, nature is also another way of saying reality mm-hmm. and a wider reality rather than just our own thoughts about the world. Because we can, as humans, we can get very caught up, and I know for myself, I can get very caught up in my perceptions of things and what I believe it to be. Whereas when I, we think, well, how can I connect with nature? It was like, oh, actually, that's, that's what's out there, as opposed to my thoughts about what's out there. It's what's actually out there.
0: Yeah yeah totally like I mean that's all like I've always thought that that the like for me the the definition of religion to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about before is uh like a world view like the it's it's not reality it's the way that you kind of make sense of reality it's like the lens Mm -hmm. that you're looking at the world through um one of the ways that you can uh, the etymology of the word religion is to yoke to hold together Mm -hmm. um and to me it's like you know, it's the thing, the idea that holds everything together, that, that you know, makes everything make sense. So it's sort of the, the explanations that we give for reality is your religion, whereas reality mm-hmm. is reality, you know.
1: I'm, yeah. I'm also quite a fan of Byron Katie, you know, that American woman who has a series of questions that you can question any of your thoughts and beliefs about things. I'll send you a link afterwards. Okay. She's uh, she's she's fantastically fun and quirky, but she talks about that as well. It's like reality is never wrong. Our yeah. th- our thoughts about reality can be wrong and give us stress, but the reality itself is never wrong and it's never cruel.
0: Yeah, and we've always we're always looking to add it through some some lens. I think we we can choose to change the lens. But yeah,
1: and that's and that's I suppose where it can get challenging for other people if. Even in in modern paganism, which has evolved a lot with the notion of fertility cults and like out of uh, Fraser and the Golden Bough and all that sort of time onwards, like, you know, the, the, the basis of all indigenous spirituality is fertility. And that's fed a lot into modern paganism with the notion of God and goddess and that And so on. And yeah. as when I've had conversations with people questioning gender, um, if they're very rooted in, if that is one of the, the cornerstones of their understanding of their paganism and their sense of identity, they get very upset about the challenging notions of gender and yeah. the construct of that.
0: I find that such an interesting topic, so I think that um you get so many different other ways of doing it like i I've actually found in Druidry that there's such uh, at least in Australia, there's much less focus on the the God and goddess couple I, if mm. ever, I don't I don't think I've ever seen it come into it here um we We talk about deities, but in in terms of storytelling and you know different yep. times of year, and you know. Maybe at certain times of year there might be a little bit of a story about a a divine couple, um, a Beltane, I suppose. Um, But, you know, most of the other times it's just stories about individual deities and their natures and, and, you know, it's like the the deities. I I mean, I even feel a bit funny about the idea of calling them deities personally. I just think they're they're stories. They're um, important, powerful ancestors. So you know spirits or lessons, but yeah, this idea of like I, I feel like if we're looking at it through this idea of God or goddess, it it takes on that Christian idea of it being a god or a goddess, and I don't know if that's really what they are to me, like that, mm-hmm. you, know, you know. But but um, yeah, I I find that like there's like the the creative force in Wicca comes from that God and goddess pairing, right? Whereas in Druidry it comes from Arwen, which is not gendered. Um,
1: um, yeah, I, I think it depends on the viewpoint or the heritage of the Druid in question as well.
0: Yeah, I suppose so, because I think that um, it might, maybe it's different over there because I think there's a bit more blending um, of the paths in uh, in Ireland and the UK perhaps, um, whereas, I think whereas here there seems to be, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be quite the same. I'm not sure, maybe that's just my impression.
1: Uh, I've, I've met people from all persuasions and, and I suppose almost everybody I know who practices Druidry also practices other paths as well mm. and they inform them so Like I have friends who are their Buddhism really informs their Druidry um, and I have other friends whose Wiccan practice really informs their Druidry and so in, in any encounter it's going to be a little bit of everything and that's what I what I particularly love about it. Like one of the things that I love about large Obod gatherings is the the Druids' prayer and the that babble that happens when people name whatever word they use for spirit or the divine. Granddaughter, <laughs> <That, that> protection. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I was in. I remember I used to be in a small group where there was only about eight of us, and a couple of times we we tried that prayer just with each paper, each person saying that line one by one, so that we could actually hear what each other said.
0: Yeah, we and, all say spirit. <laughs> we just um, say spirit. Yeah, I, I know at, people at who say the, yeah,
1: lots of different combinations.
0: Yeah, right. That's so interesting. Um, I wonder if we've become a little bit more homogenous here for being a small group.
1: Yeah. I Possible. Yeah, but then, but that's also the people that you know personally. There could be dozens of other people or hundreds of other people doing things privately that you don't know about. That's
0: true. There definitely could be. There's there's the sort of little core group that gets along to the assemblies, but who knows who hasn't been to those before? I suppose. Or, or I maybe that... people say something different in their own time and then say it, you know, mm-hmm. one way during ritual. So they might just, you know, we often have the the scripts at, at um, big gatherings. So um, you know, people might just be reading whatever has been written there. But yeah, that is that is kind of a lovely thing. I, I do appreciate that there is that openness, and there are so many different ways of of believing within druidry. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I I've come across as well that I I think is quite interesting is um, the idea that we see um our, our gods or our deities or our you know or even divine forms if we're talking about. Arwen or Nuivra or something like that. We we imagine them as we would imagine our, our best selves, I think. So, mm. um, you know, a, a heterosexual person might imagine a divine heterosexual couple. And, yep. you know, people of all different kinds of genders and persuasions would imagine deity as needing to represent the diversity that they experience. So yeah, but I think there's room for that in Druidry
1: absolutely and if we can come from at it with compassion and see everybody else's stories as the way that they're they're relating to the world in the best way they can in the best way they know how
2: yeah
1: then it's all fine i think as long did we have a conversation on messenger about this Uh, one of my bugbears about internet communication especially facebook and youtube comments is the the, the quickness with which we can all be um insulted and offended i don't mean us in the pagan world i mean just online in general and but you 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 know i i am offended that you that you would think that i'm i'm offended that you would believe that and there's absolutely ways that people can share things that are incorrect and um and and difficult like I, I come, wrote to somebody yesterday, let them know that a video that they had shared was from essentially from a modern neo-Nazi political party. Went, Please don't. But at the same time, there's also, and I suppose I'm, I'm coming at this from a perspective of somebody who lives a lot within a world of people who are either queer, um, with gender sexual minorities, and different pagan groups, and we can all be very right on and I have a tendency to think that other people are not if they're not our kind of right on and i'm sitting with that a lot at the moment about that ability to be compassionate and understanding and gentle with ourselves and with other people when people have opinions that are different to ours and I'm not. I don't even. Um, it's 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 very much with me at the moment. So I don't even have a, a proper way of explaining it. But that's something that I feel very much is a thing that I and we need to to work with to yeah. be okay with difference.
0: Well, there's there's certainly a lot of you know um, diversity as far as gender and sexual orientation goes in the pagan community. I, I think the fact that we are. I love too, it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's so wonderfully
1: wonderful. weird.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've always thought that it's because um we're we're both communities that have been ostracized in the past um or you know had unfair negative uh, assumptions made about us and that we've had to you know reclaim our titles um and you know and and present ourselves to the world in a positive way and and work on you know uh like healing our relationships with the mm-hmm. mainstream and, and things like that I think there's a lot of shared experience uh, with, you know in those senses that, that makes yeah. makes them yeah really um, I
1: suppose if you're willing child. to identify to, to say I'm different in whatever way you're different to somebody else yeah. then it's much easier to say the next level of difference.
0: yeah well yeah I mean you want to be a, a path that I mean, as a as a religion or a spirituality, we want to be um, accepting a difference because you know we know that we're different. Mm-hmm. We're all different, we're, and there's so much diversity. I suppose so. Yeah, that's. I think there's a real shared thing there. So, so I think that there is. Like, I've I've heard lots of people. Um, with you know, all different kinds of backgrounds wanting to have more of that diversity sort of represented in our stories and our, our ways of understanding like the fertility aspects of, of what we talk about or the you know, um, all kinds of things. Is that something that happens is happening in, in your community? Like are people talking about that or
1: I'm trying to think now who my community is.
0: <laughs> or, or in what ways? What ways does um does that do do those two parts of your life kind of come together?
1: Um. Okay. Within uh, my queer world, paganism is fairly normal. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who identifies thinks of it as particularly strange. The only time I had somebody ask me something kind of odd. In relation to my paganism, was when I was living in Belfast, and I don't drink alcohol. And someone asked me if my reason for not drinking alcohol was because I was pagan, but that was. (laughs) 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 I you don't drink, it must be for religious reasons.
0: (laughs) Right?
1: Yeah. But outside outside of that, reason to drink
0: at least mead
1: anyway. Um, Yeah, and I've never experienced any sort of homophobia within a, a druid context ever it's never been anything now, I whole I facilitate a Facebook group for queer members of the order and it's never been for any sort of reason that your queerness isn't welcome in in a wider, wider context it's just that it, sometimes it's really nice to to meet with people with a shared sense of identity and, and particularly if somebody wants to have a conversation around how they're sitting with their gender and so on, that can be difficult to do in a larger form so and also, it, it there's one of the interesting things about especially a gay community is that there's a shared sense of heritage and ancestry within it. And when we talk about our ancestors of spirit. And I, I, I very much have a sense of my ancestors of spirit through the gay queer community as it's existed over time and how that has evolved and how people have... Inspired, and, and also so the, the language and culture that we use, and, was, and the jokes that we might tell, are only really funny if you're telling them to somebody else who has a, a similar sense of humour or has come from, who exists in that similar sphere.
0: Right. So, so what kind of things do you discuss in there? Like, I mean, is, is it, uh, are other people allowed to go in there? Do you have to be? Can I? Can I join? <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, yeah. The only the, the, uh, at the moment there's two questions on the on the when you click to join and you're asked, you know, are you a member of the order and uh, do you identify with the gender and sexual minority group? So, but there are people who identify as asexual, or people who identify as a gender, and that's that's their, that's what their queerness is. Okay. So there isn't necessarily any reason for people not to but it's there's, there's there is still a need for some sort of container yeah and boundary. Like, for that.
0: preference that you would at least yeah understand yeah. S-
1: some, some some sort of sense of affinity it was like okay i did this this these are my people yeah they might not be my people forever but this month they've they identify with them as my people yeah. um what people what people talk about occasionally uh, just, just sharing people's blog posts or their reflections on things. Um, People might share their experiences with ceremony, oftentimes jokes, but generally it's just introductions and people saying hello to each other Mm. and having a sense really of not being alone. Mm. And particularly for younger LGBTQIA++ people, it can be very isolating if you haven't named who you are and you haven't found who your people are or people who are like you and if you live somewhere that is smaller it can be very hard to to come out because it makes you vulnerable and then that that just sticks into its sense of isolation so i suppose one of the main reasons for having something like that is for so people can feel like oh actually there are other people like me
0: what what is it about it that makes it like an obod thing? Um like I why, be not, why not member. just run a like a, a queer group? Like uh what what about the so you, ah. you said you say share some things about ceremony. Um like do you do you ever talk about how you might change things to make it more appropriate to you? Is that is that something of a concern? Like is there any sense that, that there's something lacking in the way that doing this that needs to be? Not
1: changed? for me. Right. Um I, the only thing that might be lacking is representation. And, but there's so many different things people can be represented about. I don't find my spiritual practice or my experience of the course was in any way uncomfortable because I'm gay. And the majority of people who, well, I assume the majority of people who've constructed the course aren't but I don't know that. Um, I I know that there are some people who find the gendering of things difficult, but as everything else in the course is written, it's like, you know, if, if there's something here that you don't like, drop it. Or if it doesn't resonate with you, drop it and create something else that does work for you. So I suppose if you... trying to find the, the, the most compassionate way of saying this if you come to it looking for something dogmatic and something instructional and something like a religion that you have to pick up and accept word for word everything you receive then it can be challenging but if you come at the course and obod in general as a community where you're able to experience an experiential course that gives you the freedom to be able to navigate your way through it, trusting that it's been constructed in for your highest good and having the self authority enough to be able to say, actually, this isn't, this part isn't for me right now for whatever reason, either, either the story doesn't work with me and how I experience the world or it's touching on trauma or for whatever reason, this is something that I need to, to navigate around and I'll revisit it at some point and I'll like and acknowledge its existence. That's, perfect i have i've never had any issue with anything in the course okay. like there's occasional bits where it'll talk about um like for instance in the this script that's given for the belt ceremony there's there's a little bit of a dip your wand in my chalice which i'm like that's cute but it doesn't really work for me and but but as a personal the the solo right that comes with that i find really powerful All Right. And, but that's, I suppose that's because it's about me as an individual and honouring those different types of ways of being. And, it, and I find the solo ceremony quite queering in that way. It kind of messes up gender, which by, by doing what we do in everything in Druidry, by combining and seeing what happens.
0: Yeah, I, I can't say I, I don't use those ceremonies a whole lot. Um
1: well, I haven't for a, for a long time but, uh, but I can't
0: the, remember. the the memory of them. Yeah, right. Okay. Um yeah, this, we, like for years this, we, I've been I've built such a busy time of year. I'm always off at events and things and you know being being part of um things in the wider community rather than focusing on O-board work. Um so yeah, there's there's like a, a big Sydney event that we do and uh We've always tried to make it really um inclusive um but it's really difficult when you're working with a story about yeah. about sex and marriage and um yeah it's it's difficult but we but we always say in that like uh like try and get feedback and find what people want and we we like people that identify as as the genders go to the men's and the women's uh, circles we don't have a, a non-binary so mm. but we've never had the need to we haven't had anybody yeah. that turned up and always, that
1: and it's always um, curious to see how, how you'll respond to that if that need arises and you can
0: yeah oh we would definitely be it. open to to working it out that's a kind of nice thing about paganism i think is that we you know we want it to work for everybody we, but um yeah sometimes the the kind of you know gardenerian style of like there must be so many married mm. couples in the coven kind of, you know, mindset um, <laughs> is still there in some of the ceremonial stuff that that we're doing. So there's yeah, a real need to on rework it. You know. Yeah. Mm.
1: Can I pick up on one sentence you said there? You know, the, in paganism, we want things to work out for everybody. I think that's something that we need to make explicit, not like with a code of practice or so on, but just that we talk about. You know, what, who, who are we, and, and what are we doing, and what's this for, mm-hmm. and if our if the the purpose of our our experience together as a community and creating ceremonies together is to deepen our actually no, I'm being I'm being prescriptive there for me what I would experience that as is I I like to think that my my connecting with other people and my way of developing a community practice is to to nourish us as a group by deepening our sense of connection with each other and with the natural world with reality with and honoring where we are in our lives with what's going on in our lives and who we are as individuals and and in some way offering a blessing to the world that we're making things some way better by being together yeah but that's that's mine for some people their paganism might be i want to honor my ancestors by div- by Creating a practice that that it mirrors what they did at some point in the past. Yeah. So I think when we talk about what paganism is, it can be drastically different at a root level for different people.
0: Yeah, I've um just you're making me think about how I actually have have sort of changed my practice, and I think that like the way that I look at um. The wheel of the year, cause like I've done a lot of work on making a like a native wheel of the year for where I live, and there's there's actually nothing in there about about gender or sex at all. It's all about nature, ancestors, um, light and dark, um, creativity, inspiration. You know, um, the burning in the fire season. The you know, different things that happen in nature and how you can symbolise that, but why there's actually nothing in there that's that's sexual, <laughs> as far as I can think. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting that that I'm I'm wondering now if in having so many, um, you know, I've got a lot of gay friends in paganism that that might have been a sort of under under the surface influence in not not making that part of the story. Mm. Um, because it's, it's lovely when everyone can go, yes, that makes sense for me. When, when we take stories, if we just isolate something and go, that story doesn't work for everyone. That's, that's not the story we need to tell in the group ritual. We can tell that ritual, that story with, you know, the people that that resonates with, like as a special working, you know?
1: Or you can, Um, or you can broaden it (laughs) so that it does. Yeah. Yeah. Or
0: talk about love rather than. You know, man, woman, sex. You know, like, yep. yeah, or or creativity, or union, or yeah, just make it broader.
1: I Or suppose. De- devotion, or yeah. connection. So many, so many ways that we can negotiate and and relate to stories so that they're inclusive.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Inclusivity is important, and at the same time, this is a conversation I've had with the a few times. Uh, the this. This ability, the willingness to also stand in our own story and do and in our own community and culture story. So being able to say, actually, no, this is what my dread practice is, and I'm willing, and I want, I'd love to share it with you, but I also, I'm not going to water it down so it becomes something else, because we can create something new together in this ceremony, and then my own practice is its own thing. There's a really fine balance between, sorry, I don't even know if it's even a balance, This this dance between, honoring my stories and how I, how I choose to tell them and then being able to engage with other people and create a new story, even if it's just for that ceremony or for that, that group that we're in and then being able to say, well, actually this is my part in it and this is who I am. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. Does that make sense? So for instance, if I was somebody who, who d- deeply loved uh, and found great meaning and resonance in, um, just cause we're talking about God and goddess and, 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 a divine combination of deities and, and seeing that in ourselves that way. Being able to be with other people and and soften that for the group and then being able well actually for myself and my own practice this is really important.
0: Sorry. No um
1: No. You can edit all this out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I wanna get I wanna get to what you're talking about. So are you saying that like um you can have your own practice but it doesn't need to influence a sort of wider practice or Oh, uh, no, it, 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 like bring it,
1: it with change. you but don't be dogmatic yeah and at, the right. time, at the same time and the same thing not being dogmatic but also don't filter. don't
0: yeah like don't expect to ev- the whole world to change just because of our individual experience e- i suppose
1: yes but also don't negate your own individual experience because of the whole world
0: yeah totally
1: so honor who you are and what your beliefs are Uh, and allow other people to think and believe different things.
0: Yeah. And, and speak up as well within reason, I think like, because sometimes nothing's going to change if people don't understand that it's a, a problem for someone like, Mm -hmm. like I like running, running big events. Like it's, it only becomes apparent to us that, you know, um, if, if, you know, the people running something are, are quite sort of mainstream-minded um, or heterosexual, then they're not going to instantly think of the, the problems for interpretation for people of other genders or, or sexualities. Um, and having, the like, the voice of somebody saying, that doesn't work for me so much. Maybe we could, you know, is there another way that we can make this meaningful for everybody? Like, that's really helpful. You know, it's <clears> good <throat> to have those voices in there. But, you know, like I think the important thing is that we we all want the ritual to be meaningful for everyone. But, um, yeah, I guess it's difficult when uh, there's that tendency to want to cling to the past as well and wanting to have that tradition side of things, Uh, which, yeah, people do struggle with, especially with things like like Beltane that is such a, a very heterosexual sort of a... A festival, really. Um, but um, I mean, I, I, um, we had a a Beltane where I got crowned the queen one year, mm-hmm. and um, my friend Ben, who is, uh, has a male partner, um,
1: who I know, I know,
0: yeah, <laughs> oh, and he says hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he became my king, so we were king and queen that year. But
1: Fabulous.
0: but it it wasn't, you know, I mean, it's a it's a spiritual ritual and it was and there was definitely you know the opportunity should it should have been you know wanted we we probably could have had two men or two women or
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know like like the community was open to all kinds of possibilities for what we could have done um but it ended up being me and Ben and and through that we ended up having this amazing friendship and and a, a beautiful creativity between us that that is you know sparked up all kinds of things so um, sometimes you know you just make it work as well you, know? <laughs> you can Absolutely. interpret it in different ways and, and make it mean what you want it to mean um, yeah so it doesn't have to be as restrictive as it looks I think. No,
1: and I, I think that's the, the way with all ceremony and all groups activities you need, you need to be able to know what you're doing and why you're doing it and adapt to what you have in front of you and what's available. And and do it all with a sense of lightness and joy that this is happening at all. Because like, if you get upset that, you know, actually, no, I, the way I want it to be is that the, there needs to be equal numbers of people of different skin tones. Or I want everybody <laughs> to have blue eyes and red hair. Or I want everybody, to, you can't have, who turns up turns up, and who turns up is perfect. And the way the weather is, is perfect. Uh, It's maybe not the same degree for you, but for us, particularly in Ireland, if you're planning a ceremony, like there's a 50% chance it's going to be raining. So you need to think, okay, well, we do what we need to bring Colts and Wellies. And are we willing to do this outdoors? And if not, um, how much rain is too much?
0: We, our last Beltane that we did, it rained so heavily on this tin roof in this hall that we had to shout the whole ritual. <laughs> we, <laughs> we nearly had it outside, but we ended up having it inside. And I was doing this invocation to the god and the... <laughs> And the, the thunder, was like, like and the whole place was shaking, and it was, it was quite dramatic, but we had to shout. So, yeah, we get rain.
1: <laughs> I was in this group once years ago, and we did, uh, a, we had this silent ceremony, and there was several people in the group who wanted to have more free-form ceremony and no scripts, and we tended to use scripts in that particular group. And we had this silent ceremony under this ancient new tree, and it bucketed down for hours and we had scripts and they literally dissolved <laughs> there was no, there was no paper left at the end
0: <laughs> it was a sign <laughs> Go oh, it was. Well, I
1: know. Things, things got very messy after that it was it was it was a very bad period but the um the but I love that I, I love how much joy we can get from being outdoors and doing these sorts of things yeah Sure. I had some friends around here for um, our spring equinox a few weeks ago and we had uh, three friends just come around to our house, me and my partner and we went out onto the hill behind our house with the dog and we just stood in circle and acknowledged the beauty of where we were and then because it's such a small group and we know each other quite well, we just had a very spontaneous ceremony facilitated by me just saying when we started and finished but Everything else was someone else just offering words of wisdom or uh, a suggested prayer that we do together, and so on. And because we know each other, we were able to be in silence, and for that to be okay, and to trust that whatever was going to happen next happened next. Yeah. But if you move into a group where there's, if it becomes any more than a few people, and people don't know each other well, it, it needs to be structured. Like you need to, you need to be able to trust. That people know what's happening next.
2: Yeah.
1: And people totally. that, and and those scripts, as much as people hate them, the people who feel that ceremony should always be free flowing, you need to you need to feel safe.
2: Yeah.
1: And you need to and that and it's if you if you're in a group of people where you know you could have fifty to hundred people in a circle, and if that's free flowing, that's chaos.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have a, a sort of core group in those situations <clears throat> that that really knows what's going on. I think, um, but yeah, getting rituals where everybody's involved and it's meaningful for everyone—it's it's certainly a, a a very specific kind of talent to to put those things together. I think, um, yeah.
1: I meant to ask you: Did you ever go to the ceremonies in Seven Hills back in the early two thousands?
0: Oh, they're still on now.
1: No, but I I went to them over the, a few times over the course of about six months.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, did you live in Australia for a bit?
1: I I, I spent a year in Australia when I was twenty one. Oh yeah. Wow. My my cousins grew up in Sydney, and I was back again a few years after that.
0: Right. No. Cool. Yeah. No. I, I um. It's always been just a little bit far for me, but yeah, I have been.
1: So, yeah i went a few times but i was living in i was living in the western suburbs and i went out and it's like it's only a few stops on the train so it's only an hour and a half out there, down the road yeah Which in, in sydney commuting time that's nothing where were you uh, i was living in a hostel in Glebe.
0: oh in glee hmm. right cool
1: so a lot of my bardic grade was in parks around there
0: i want you to read my book then and see what you think so, so i wrote it yes. on the, the northern beaches
1: so, oh, beautiful! Yeah. No, I definitely have to to check in with it because that sense of connecting with the landscape as it actually is and where you are. So one of the people who inspired me a lot when I first became interested in druidry was Emma Restalore, and that was a big part of her her drive was like, you know, having what's what's the real relationship happening here?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. she was my teacher. So she started the Gorseth of Kayabiri, that was where I was basically studying. <laughs> Uh, with the lady who was running that, Morgan Reese Adams, and um, when I was living in Glastonbury for nearly a year, and mm. uh, yeah, so so just, yeah, because Emma used to run it, and Morgan had gone on quite a lot of you know courses and things with Emma mm-hmm. and learnt from her. So there was definitely a bit of a, a a similarity, I suppose, in the perspective. I really love Emma's perspective too because she um, lived in Japan, and um, you can like cuz i i lived in japan too and you can really i don't know there's a there's a similarity of philosophy there that i like <laughs>
1: mm. so yeah. yeah i wonder is that why the, the people like marie kondo and so on resonate so much with me as well maybe that sense yeah that <laughs> yeah. sense of okay what's my relationship with my house my belongings my my space in the world mm. Yeah, and, how no, can and I... that,
0: that ordinary, you know, that you were talking about the mm. the magic of the ordinary. That that's very much a sort of Zen kind of philosophy. That, yeah. Um, you know, you can have the the kata, the the forms of everyday life um, can be perfected, and uh, you know, through through finding mushin, which is uh, no mind. So like. Um, like it's very similar to it's it's i suppose it would be i would explain it as the state that your mind has to be in to receive arwen where you Mm. you let go of sort of egoic thoughts or or um sort of hesitation or um attachment to thinking um and just allow them the the movement to flow naturally so pretty much anything in japanese art has those two concepts of kata and mushin and yeah, i think that's really important like you know cuz you can you can have the kata of washing the dishes you know i'm going to stack all the plates up neatly i'm going to run the water i'm going to do this i'm going to you know wipe the sideboard i'm going to mm-hmm. you know wash in this way and i'm going to stack them on there that way and you know there's there's sort of a form to it like a perfected form of the way of washing mm-hmm. the dishes the way of washing the dishes <laughs> the way of the dishes the way of the this that the other the way
1: okay so then things know. like the tea ceremonies and so yeah. on are or perfected practices. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, there's sort of like a perfected form in everything. Um, and it's the same theory behind martial arts and uh, flower arrangement or calligraphy or drumming or, yeah, all kinds of different things. It's like and
1: like circling s- that back to, to all about practice, then as well, I really enjoy if, when I'm with a group of people and we're able to, to, to take from start to finish, almost scripted to the words, the Obad ceremonies. And doing it in such a way like this is this is a practice. Just doing these words on their own with these people is in the absolute simplicity of it is really beautiful, yeah. really nourishing.
0: I've often I've often explained this in, in terms of um like the process of letting go of the scripts. Like I think the scripts are great as insofar as we see them as kata. You know they they're the form that you know you you read the scroll the you know mm. the the forms in martial arts so it's punch punch kick do this do that, and you do it repetitively until you do it naturally and you can find that mushin state where you let go of thinking about it and going oh what was next what what am I supposed to do and you just do it because it's natural, mm-hmm. and yeah that's that's sort of the perfected form that's like where Arwen arrives I think, um, and you know you can have Arwen in ritual where you know, you you practice the forms. You understand what's going to happen. You know what the flow is like, and then and then you let go, and and it just happens. So yeah, absolutely.
1: And it was the same since then. Certainly, right back to the start of our conversation when I was saying that I went to mass as a druid, and I don't know if you if you have any experience with Roman Catholicism or going to that, but there's there's a, a sequence of standing, sitting, kneeling, and there the. As a ceremony that goes on for only 40 minutes, it's very dense. Like there's a lot of mini ceremonies included in this one um, longer ritual. And coming from it, from going to that from a very young age, being able to rest into actually, this is the, the practice of the form of that ceremony. Kind of going, and now I stand, and now I say this, and now I. And it's not something that I have any yearning to be part of but it's something that i definitely will go and do again because even i was explaining this to somebody recently i have gone to communion as a druid multiple times and i know people who will refuse to because of the horrendous things the church has done and so on but the the practice of the mass itself is quite profound and i think the time i had the most healing of that it was during my ovate and i was doing some volunteer work with by spending time with a woman who lived in a residential care home and the reason I was was they asked me to go and spend time with her is because she didn't like to socialize she never went down to the group events so I would go and sit in her room with her and one of the days that I was with her the priest had said mass in the community hall downstairs and then he went and visited different people who wanted to receive communion who weren't able to or were unwilling to go down into the group space and so I was in the room with her when the priest came and received mass. And I asked her, you know, will I leave? Um, and I, she said, no, no, say it's fine. It was incredibly profound to watch her receive God in the way that meant so much to her. So after that, now anytime I've in, been in a situation where it was expected to go to mass, I go up now and I say, look, I do this in honour of my ancestors, and I'll and acknowledge that it that's. Also, it's a very very profound act to say, actually, this this is symbolic of of God and the divine, and I'm taking it within me. Uh, And I would do the same with any spiritual practice or any religious group. So honoring where I came from with the same reverence and and respect that I would have for any other religious group, I think is, is important. I no longer need to define myself as separate from it.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's that beauty and that familiarity in some ways as well. And like like whether we're talking about a church ritual that, that reminds us of childhood or if it's a, a new ritual that we're doing with Druidry that we've done over and over and over again, that it's almost like that familiarity allows for another state of mind to come in. Like mm. when when you're not thinking so hard about what it is that you're doing step by step, you can actually experience it and at a different level. It's um yeah, it's quite quite different, I think. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, you're having an experience of your ancestors. You're not just thinking, I'm eating the bread, I'm drinking the wine. You're, you're yeah. thinking, this is connecting me with all of the ancestors that I have. And, and it's, it, I think that's only available to you if if it's become familiar.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's... And those ways of thinking and the type of conversation we're having is only available because it's the type of conversation that we've we've each been having with many people over the last several decades. Yeah. Sure. Like, and. and and being able to, so when I said about, you know, being in a queer and obot space, or, you know, in this kind of shared obot space that you and I are having, these sorts of conversations are normal when you spend time with other druids.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah I feel like I've heard old.
0: this conversation had by other people on, on podcasts and things like that many yeah. times before.
1: <laughs> and that's, but that's how things evolve and change, that we all have, continue to be part of the conversation so even if it's, it's a conversation that's been had several times and no one's found a solution but it's still important that the conversation's had and it might take centuries for us to move on to another level of it but it's important that it this flow of ideas and exchange continues
0: yeah it's kind of like the conversation of our time that has to happen so many times before we can move on I think
1: you know. and, that, and viewing it that way kind of takes the ego out of it too thinking okay well I need to be responsible for finding the solution or or I'm any less for having the same old conversation again with somebody else or boring this person with the same conversation they've already had with somebody else. It's not about me.
0: Oh, but it's it not is, about you. But it sort of is about you as well, like because um, yeah. it might be the same sort of subject matter, but to hear it through your lens is always going to be different <clears> and and mine and whoever else, like, you know, it's, that's how, that's I think that's why we need to talk about it so many times. It's like, well, well that's how it is for them. Well, what is it for you? You know, yeah. how does how does your life experience make this conversation different? Um, you know, and even when we talk about our druidry and
1: what it's been influenced by, so like mine has been massively influenced by uh, people like Gabriel Roth and Five Rhythms, and you know, the countless hours I've spent going to those sorts of classes and and doing that sort of practice, or the years going to mass as a child, or. Um, my 20 spent in nightclubs, that sort of thing. All of the, all of that has influenced who I am as a person yeah. and it's resourced me in some way.
0: So many ancestors to, Ruby. so
1: many ancestors. Dance and that's ancestors. one of the things I loved about your talk was when you, the meditation you gave with the three realms combined with the three ancestors. I hadn't oh, heard good. that before.
0: Uh, that's kind of our idea, I guess. Um, me and some friends here sort of stumbled upon that one. <laughs>
1: It works really well, really yeah. well. I'm going to use that next. Oh,
0: good. Yeah, we just call it the three ancestors. So, like, either bloodline, inspiration, and in the land. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the land as a realm, then the land ancestors. The sea as a realm and the bloodline or the milkline ancestors, and the sky as a realm and the like the ancestors of truth. Um yeah inspiration i guess so yeah it it just works really nicely but the first time i heard it was emma Restalor. actually she said um somewhere the, oh but it probably was um morgan and the the gorseth mm. um where they they welcomed the three realms and they also welcomed three ancestors or they they weren't so specific about it but they they welcomed you know those ancestors individually um without naming them in that way um But I I read somewhere in one of Emma's books, she said, The Ancestors of Blood, Mud, and Wisdom. And um, I
1: like that. Blood, Mud, and Wisdom. Oh, I like that.
0: Yeah. I've I've,
1: I've, I've read her book, so I've definitely read that before.
0: I think it's in ritual, but I'm not sure. I love that book. Mm, It's great. Yeah. It was one of my prized possessions for many years. Because um, every time I read them, I read a few paragraphs, and then I have to put them down and go outside. (laughs) She's always kicking you out the door. She's great.
1: She is. Yeah. I think was it one of her books that starts off with saying, you know, after the first page, like now, go put yeah. your boots on and go outside, yeah, yeah. And come back later. Living <laughs>
0: Druidry, it's right right at the beginning.
1: <laughs> and it was um, Penny Billington talks about that in her book as well. The I'm blanking on the title, but her book on the on Druidry as a as a as a path. The path of Druidry. The whole book, yeah. The whole book is structured around doing the same walk oh, every day.
0: I've got that one. I haven't read it yet.
1: It's it's lovely. It's 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 there's a beautiful simplicity person. to it. But I mean, she talks about just going for a, a regular a walk around your neighborhood that you can do regularly, mm. and do that over the course of the year and and notice the seasons changing and how you as a person relate to it and yeah. and also the, the the spiritual practice of walking.
0: That's wonderful. That is that the path of Druidry? Is that yes? That one? Oh, great. Yes, wonderful. I will read that one. How lovely to have a recommendation.
1: Mm. And likewise, I'll go and buy your book now immediately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i wish i could just send you one but it'll yeah it'll probably cost me less just to buy you one on the internet so <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the opposite of the phone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: save the carbon footprint and <laughs> just get one sent to you <laughs> but yeah um yeah i hope you like it especially seeing as you lived here that that's really cool um but yeah i i love hearing about different experiences all over the place because there's so many different ways that we experience jewelry, you know like I mean, it could be different from one valley to the you know one valley to the next hill to the
2: mm-hmm.
0: to the next valley to you know a hundred kilometers down the road can be a whole other world you know. And that was a big thing for me. I think in my Druid grade experience was finally getting to
1: the point where I no longer had the sneaking suspicion that I was getting it wrong. Like there was a, there was a lot of imposter syndrome for a good part of my my journey, thinking, well, this you know if I was you know. A proper druid, I'd be doing it this way, or if I was a proper druid, I'd be, you know, doing these sorts of things. But you know, I'm just making do (laughs) until you get to the end of it. Actually, this is this is my druidry.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I came to it from like having done um, sort of general paganism and green witchcraft for about eight years. So I came into it with a lot of like comfort in my own Mm -hmm. way of doing things, I guess, and just. Like after doing druidry for like one year and I hadn't even started Obod. I was just like, right, I'm gonna write my I I was writing my book like before I even found Druidry. Um yeah, it was yeah, I guess sometimes you just have some like if you've got something to say, something that feels right, something that needs to be said about the way that we do things, you've just gotta say it. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it doesn't like it doesn't even have to be Druidry, you know?
1: Okay. I, I th- there was a definition I read on the yeah. internet many, many years ago, and the definition of druidry is it's whatever druids do. Yeah, and I like that. It it gives us all the freedom to think. Well, you know, what does your druidry look like?
0: That's beautiful.
1: Even if you don't, even if you don't think of it as druidry, like what mm-hmm. what is what, what is this you as a druid doing in the world?
0: Yeah, well, I've always defined druidry as um, a nature based spiritual practice inspired by what we know of the ancient Celtic druids, which is still pretty broad you know like it it says that it's nature-based but it, it's not you know it's inspired by it isn't trying to replicate well you know what they did or who they were or anything like that mm-hmm. it's just and it can be anywhere it doesn't have to be in the same place like there's there's a lot of like how, how do you define something that's so broad you know yeah. I mean, if you say that it's inspired by something, then it's sort of leaving a bit of room, I think. So I don't know, but yeah, what? Yeah, I don't know about that though as well, because like saying that it's just what dru what druidry is what druids do can be a bit broad.
1: Oh, I, that was me um, saying that it's you don't need to think of what this. This now I'm now I'm being a druid and now I'm not, or now I'm doing druidry yeah. and now I'm not.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh,
1: and, and giving yourself that 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 freedom it is Uh, it is
0: kind of beautiful in the sense that like what you were talking about with ordinary magic and things that yeah like the way that you choose like if you really embrace druidry as your as your path it can you know you can make the way that you um engage with any practice a druid practice like it can just be a mindset that um yeah that shapes the way that you interact with anything
1: and at the same time, allowing a few to step out of it at times or to acknowledge that someone else can do something that's almost identical and that they don't identify as a druid or they don't identify with modern druidry and that to be OK. As you mentioned earlier about how you know we, we can often go, well, you know, you're a druid because you're doing something similar to me and, you know, you're a druid. You might not know it, but you're a druid. Well, that's there's a part of that that's not that's not okay yeah i know totally not
0: okay yeah i know but i i say people have a tendency to do that but
1: it's not right no I g allow someone to be different
0: yeah and allow people to self-identify
1: yeah. yes self-identifying is very important yeah. very very important especially when it comes to gender yes
0: all kinds of things yeah mm-hmm. um there's Go
1: ahead. Yes, and I suppose that
0: the,
1: the, I suppose the other part of that then is for me is this: what's really beautiful about OBot as an organisation is that it's a community, and that we get to meet other people who have gone, who've had the the self-discipline, or the the devotion, or the commitment enough to to sign up to a course and to make that decision to do that, and then to make the decision every time they're going to. Um, complete another course and complete a grade because even completing a grade takes a huge amount of, I'm going to do this. You don't just accidentally finish it.
2: No, yeah. So then
1: when you actually get to meet other people, there's a sense of being almost in a similar kind of monastic practice. You've just been happening to be doing it elsewhere in the world.
0: Yeah, that's sort of what joins us, isn't it? That Just that commitment Mm -hmm. to um, learning, I suppose, commitment to the journey. But um, now, I started going to the Druid even?
1: Gorseth Sorry. two years ago. I started going to the Druid Great Gorseth two years ago. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about it is it's you know, twenty people usually on a retreat somewhere in England and we don't actually talk about our our experience with the course or anything like that. There's just a sense of real comfort and real ease with each other. There's there's almost no need to even make too many introductions because there's a sense of already knowing each other. Nice. And so it's it's quite easy to drop into very deep conversations very quickly. Mm. Also, because we're, 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 you know, kind of held within, held within spaces.
0: Yeah. How, how do you find, um, are you studying the Druid grade or have you finished it?
1: I finished it uh, just over a year ago.
0: Right. I'm doing OVADE at the moment. It took me 10 years to get through Bardic because, um, at some point, it asks you uh, to pursue your intellectual goals. Two years <laughs> 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 <Tiddy> um, later. <laughs> yeah, so ten years. I, I needed to a little while to finish my book. So yeah, once I got that yeah, one I, I finished, did, <laughs> I
1: did the bright grid twice.
0: Yeah, right. I did it twice too. I finished it. I did it again in the last year that I did, that i completed it. So.
1: And then my OBE took six or seven years.
0: Um. I think I'm about a year and a half in, so hmm. I'm enjoying. But then I had lots I really of personal like growth really stuff down at the same time. time. Right. But yeah, I think um, yeah, it can be a mistake to to rush through them though, because it's such a nice journey.
1: There so. is, and at the same time, it can also be. Uh, it's also important to to choose to finish.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's Because the right there's time. something
1: there's something magical about getting to the end.
0: Yeah. Totally. But getting to can, the end, for the end's
1: sake, I think is missing the point for sure. Like, it is. Yeah. Um, I just know for myself that if I don't have, I'm, I'm not that I'm goal oriented, but completion helps me. I don't know if it's me being an Aries or something. I find it really easy to start things. and Getting to the end is is usually quite an achievement. So I'm very proud of myself when I finish things. So yeah, I, well I for each of my. For each of my grades, I actually had to get to a point where I set myself an, a, a date in time, six months or a year in the future, where, you know, I'm going to be finished by this date. Gosh, so, so, I had, so it's a very airy thing game, to do,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it gave, me the, it gave me the momentum, though, to keep going.
0: Yeah, I do that, and then I change my mind, and then I decide I'm going to do it a different way, and then I change my mind. Can you guess what star sign I am? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe a little bit, Gemini? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but my, I, I found finishing the druid grade a, a, almost a bizarre experience because I felt like I got to the end empty of the body. Uh, of, no, at the end of the druid grade, I felt oh, I, when guy. I finished it, it I felt d- deliciously empty. Like I didn't really, I felt like I'd come away with almost no practices and no, um, oh. no belief, and no beliefs in anything. It was like, oh, now I can start my druid journey, whatever that is.
0: Wow. Something to look forward
1: to. <laughs> yeah. And that I've, I've checked in with a couple of other people and they had something similar. That yeah. sense of, okay, now you can begin whatever you were wanting to do.
0: So, so where do you, where does one go when one finishes the Druid grade? What do you do with yourself at that point in life yeah, as um, far as I, your Druidry
1: journey goes? I waited a few months of just not doing anything and didn't do any meditations or any daily practices. And then I started uh, John and Kathleen Matthews' HaloQuest course the the tarot course that it's oh, over the course yeah. of fourteen fifteen months so okay. I'm almost at the end almost at the end of that and it, but it's been again it's been something that it's it has a timetable at the back of it that you started on the equinox and then you each uh, solstice and equinox you move on to the next suit nice so just going
0: deeper a... into more things more <laughs> courses Are you a course addict <laughs>
1: I wouldn't say I'm a course addict, but I find courses useful. I yeah. find for myself that if I have a short-term education journey, I'm able to move through it. If it's too long, I lose interest.
0: Yeah. I love courses. And I think they're great. There's so many I'd like to do, but, yeah. At the moment, same I'm, courses I'm just trying to finish what I've got.
1: <laughs> There's a fantastic meme that went around a couple of years ago with, you know, what I think I do, what society thinks I do, what my parents think I do, what I actually do. And the one with Druids was, um, what I actually do was, you know, sitting in the woods with books.
0: Yes, it's true. <laughs> piles and piles and piles of,
1: piles books. of books. Yes. <laughs> I'm mostly a Kindle reader these days, so, but it's a, it's a very heavy Kindle exposure.
0: Oh, I love my books. I like, I like just being with like, um, just being tech free for a while and yeah. Having, having some paper. And being able to give something to somebody as well, like passing yeah, them on, I really like that. That, um, yeah, I've tried. I'm trying this year, unsuccessfully, to just read the books that I've already got. Um, that's not going to happen. No, because I really, really like buying books. Uh, but yeah, but no, I've. I am. I am reading them. I am getting through some, which is really good. It's nice.
1: I have one in the cupboard that I. Really, really want to read, but it's it's not on my Kindle, so it's really heavy. It's uh, Ronald Hutton's Blood and Mistletoe.
0: I've read that. Yes.
1: Oh, it's that's my... that's quite an achievement.
0: Yeah, that was an epic journey. The,
1: the text is really small.
0: I know. I
1: know.
0: <laughs> I carried that around with me into the forest many times. <laughs> okay.
1: I it, I borrowed it off I borrowed it off somebody, so at some point I have to read it.
0: Yeah, because no,
1: it's sitting in a drawer.
0: To be honest, like it's uh i I'm, I'm really glad that i read it cuz i wanted to know what it said but yeah. um i i think if you're very interested in the uh the long history of druidry uh and just the idea of druid anywhere in history in britain um mm-hmm. it's it's a must read but uh, as far as modern Druidry is concerned, there's not a whole lot in there. It's actually quite a shame that there isn't more in there about them, the modern orders and their history. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if you were to, to read essential parts as far as modern Druidry goes, I would say read um, the first part about the classics, the bit about Iola McGarnock, uh, the bit about the universal bond, and and after that. And okay, so that, they're, they're almost the direct out. lineages that into but... Yeah, because there's a big chunk in the middle that's all about the fraternal orders and uh, poetry. And um, I found that less useful for uh, understanding modern Druidry, but if you had an interest in fraternal Druidry um, and the relationship between that and modern Druidry, it would be a must-read, so...
1: The, the, I am quite interested in that that particular period in our in history between these islands, between Britain and Ireland, because there was a, particularly in like the seventeenth and eighteenth century, the relationship between um, ordinary Irish people and people who joined fraternal orders was quite jarring, or well, not jarring. There was a bit big disconnect there, right. and the, there's part of our long and complex history and so that particular part I'd like to to be able to weave together a bit more in my understanding so I am going to at some point delve more into that book uh, because it it broadens things for me I can't
0: remember how much he goes into the specifically Irish history of it I know that um, Ronald Hutton tends to focus on England um, hmm. But yeah, I I can't remember if he did go into that. He may have.
1: Well, well yeah, I think he mentioned. Uh, I don't know if it was one of his talks or if it was in another book where he talked about why there was so little um, Gaelic influence in that particular period in druidry, and it was largely due to the fact that the North Gaelic part of Scotland and Ireland were very much, you know, Jacobean territory.
0: What does that mean?
1: Also, during the. There were more Catholic areas oh. in what would have been and so they would have been supporters of the Catholic king in the sixteenth century, seventeenth century.
0: So what what, what so was, effect would that have had on that juridry and those early fraternal orders?
1: They wouldn't have I really thought about them as you know, our people.
0: Oh right. So they might not have been um,
1: They would have been, it would yeah, they would have been engaged in a different conversation. Yeah. And also right. they would have been in, in a different language. So right. not always as accessible. Yeah. And a language that wasn't treated as as worth pursuing at that point.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's a hard world to understand really from a modern perspective. Oh and certainly from Australia, so yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a particularly horribly um violent period in Europe at the time. There was several hundred years where the populations of countries like Ireland were halved every century. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes, it's, uh, it's a lot of people dying. Gosh. Over religion.
0: There's, there's just so much to learn about history. It's just never-ending. And British and Irish history is is just so long and complicated, you know? I mean, just, yeah. just reading a book like Ronald Hutton's Blood and Mistletoe that's just about something so tiny as the Druids, really, mm-hmm. like in... In the scope of <laughs> the history of those islands, that's a tiny little part of the universe, and it's
2: an if you enormous like podcasts, book. Uh, you
0: know,
2: it is. <laughs> so you, much to learn.
1: There's that um, taking a completely different metaphor. There's that notion of um, fractals, and particularly in cartography. You know, if you wanted to draw a, a perfectly accurate map, it would be inf- it would be infinitely long. Of a coastline. If I were draw a properly accurate map of a coastline, it would be infinitely long. You have to you have to leave out bits to make it fit on a page. There's there's a whole science on how if you have to you have to aggregate data and, and squish it down into manageable bytes.
0: I think there's also like if if you want to draw all the coastlines of the world perfectly, by the time you finish drawing them, they'll have changed.
1: That's very true. (laughs) uh, Podcast recommendation, if you're into podcasts and history, do you ever listen to In Our Time?
0: In Our Time? No, but I have heard of that one, so I'm going to have to look
1: that up. It's fantastic. I have a degree in history, and I've learned far more from that podcast than I have in anything else.
0: We're going to have to talk more about history then in the future. You know, we didn't get to talking about um, the – the um Bard, Obey, and druid though that, we <laughs> no, yeah. that we had a whole plan for that. So yeah. Next time. We'll have to do it sure. next conversation. We'll have to do it again. Yes. So yeah. well, it's been awesome talking to you. Thanks so much. yeah
1: having a really chat. pleasure to actually finally yeah. get to meet you.
0: Yeah, you too. Yeah. And I'll I'll see you online and hopefully we can have a chat again.
1: No, yeah, please. I'd love to continue the conversation. I say like, conversations are important to have.
0: Yeah. It's fantastic so, to have that have, you know, different parts of the world in conversation. I love it. It's great. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And I know it's late where you are and it's also, it's now afternoon for me.
0: Ah, it's okay. I'm a pretty much a night owl. I'm much more onto it um, now than I was uh, trying to do my tea with a druid at 7am. It was kind of like... My coffee. I think it should be co- double shot coffee with, with a druid for me.
1: <laughs> yours was the yours was the brightest, though, because you had daylight.
0: Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't even. It was dark. I had the light on in the house. Really? Yeah, it was still pretty dark. It was a cloudy day. No, you had so. some good lights. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think it got light by the end, but Yeah. Anyway. Right. Fantastic.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate talking to you and I look forward to to our ongoing conversations. Yes.
0: Thanks. Have a lovely day. Right. Bye. (laughs) So that was me talking to Paul Corcoran from Ireland. Um, it was great to have a chat with you, Paul. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, just having a listen through, I've noticed that there's a couple of things I wanted to say about what we talked about. Um when we were at Druid Camp just recently I did notice that babble um that happens when we all say different things and um yeah, I maybe just hadn't noticed it before, but that's definitely something that happens. That that babble when we're doing the the um the Obod Druids prayer um and we say grant oh and you can have the choice to say spirit, goddess, god, um you know, whatever it is that, that speaks to you. And, yeah, that that really happened and it was nice that he had pointed that out so that I could hear it. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is that um, I've I've learned a little bit more about that idea of the Japanese um, concepts of kata and mushin since um, having this talk with him actually inspired me to do a blog on it and get a little bit more deeply into it. And I realised that those terms are actually quite specific to martial arts and um, perhaps it was just conversations that I was having with Japanese people Um, while I was there, um, where we were applying those martial arts terms to other concepts within Japanese culture. But, um, yeah, so if you'd like to read more about it, um, I have that on my blog, juliebrett.net, if you want to read that. So, um, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I enjoyed having a chat with Paul. Thanks again for listening.